0: You're listening to the Prevailing Word podcast channel and also on our Prevailing Word live YouTube channel. I'm Pastor Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening. Let's get right into the message. Please open up your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 24 and verse 27. The law, the Psalms, the prophets, and a little bit of the birth of Christ. But first, we have competing dates, uh, I should say celebrations, Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa. Now Hanukkah is about a miracle of the Maccabean Revolt. The menorah or the candle candelabra had oil for one day. And this is Hanukkah. The menorah remained lit after the one day supply ran out. This was recorded in one and two Maccabees. And also it was passed down as far as tradition in the Talmud. From generation to generation and is generally accepted rabbinical tradition. It's not considered a part of the Torah, which is the law uh, or the uh, Old Testament Jewish Bible. Therefore, we should exercise some measure of caution because the Maccabees is a part of the Apocrypha, which has only historical value and not inspirational value as scriptures as far as the 66 books of the Bible that we have today are Uh, particularly the 66 books. As far as we know, 39 books is of the Old Testament and 27 is in the New Testament. Therefore, we should exercise caution about uh, the Apocrypha and not uh, rely on it for inspirational reasons. Now, Kwanzaa was first celebrated by blacks in 1966, and uh, we see that there is competing celebrations. Seven candles in the Kinera symbolize the seven principles of Kwanzaa, and here are the seven. Each of the seven days of Kwanzaa is dedicated to one of the principles as follows. Number one, unity to strive for and to maintain unity in the family and community. Number two, self-determination to determine the name ourselves or define rather and name ourselves as well as to create and speak for ourselves. In other words, a rejection of the slave names given to our ancestors. Number three, collective work and responsibility to build and maintain our community together and make our brothers and sisters problems, our problems and solve them together. Number four, cooperative economics to build and maintain our own stores, black people, black shops and other businesses and to profit from them together, just like the Jews do. But I believe that anybody else can walk in and purchase anything that they want. But nonetheless, that's what their fourth uh, principle or candle is about. Number five, to make our collective vocation. This is purpose to make our collective vocation, the building and developing of our community in order to restore our people to their traditional greatness, (laughs) Number six, creativity, to do always as much as we can in the way we can in order to leave our community more beautiful and beneficial than we inherited it. And finally, number seven, faith. The uh, Swahili, uh, I believe, and I could be wrong because I don't speak the language, the name of this is Imani to believe with all our hearts in our people, our parents, our teachers, our leaders, and the righteousness and victory of our struggle. Now, these seven things are nice to uh, glean on. And one of the things that we have to understand about Kwanzaa and Hanukkah is that Christ is left out. Even with Christmas, even though Christ is in this name, Christmas, meaning the mass of Christ, it is obviously of Catholicism. Now, you can do what you want with this information. But I like what Romans chapter 14 tells us, because Romans chapter 14 and verse 5, if you If you turn there, it says one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. And so whatever day you want to celebrate, that's you. But as far as me, if I choose not to celebrate it, don't get mad. And don't get mad at people who choose to celebrate whatever day that they want. Don't get mad. But as far as me, I'd rather serve Christ alone. It is the safest place to be and that is to serve Christ alone. Uh, We have the law, the uh, prophets, and the Psalms, which speaks of great things that took place as far as the birth of Christ is concerned. But before I get to that, uh, go down to verse 10 in in Romans 14. So that way we we could be clear about uh, celebrating certain days. But why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt for your brother? Now, if you're not in Christ, you're not my brother. Well, I, I thought I thought that we black people are brothers and sisters. You can say that in the natural But I don't ascribe to that in terms of what comes first. What comes first is Christ. What comes after that are my brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of race. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee Shall bow to me. It doesn't matter if you got a black knee or a white knee. Every knee will bow to Christ. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account to himself to God. Shall give account of himself rather to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this. Not to put a stumbling block or a cause To fall in our brother's way. Now when it comes to. um, The law the Psalms and the prophets as far as the birth of Christ is concerned. There's a lot of scripture that Paul. uh, Tapped into. uh, Concerning the the birth of Christ and concerning his ministry and and. Uh, I believe that we should go through them because it's not enough for for me to tell you that, hey, uh, the Old Testament speaks of Christ and then leave it at that. It's necessary that we go through uh, the scriptures because this will give us a a well-rounded picture about the birth of Christ. First of all, the prophecy for Christ coming into the world starts in the book of Genesis chapter 3. In verse 15, if you'll turn there, Genesis chapter three and verse 15 and it says, and I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here we see the plan of redemption being made for man in this one particular verse. Paul confirms this in Galatians chapter three and verse 15, how coincidental. But we'll get to Genesis. Uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter three and verse 15 and 16 in a moment. But I wanna go back to dissect a little bit of uh, verse 15 of Genesis chapter three. So we ought to know what the hostility is. The hostility will be be between uh, the serpents or Satan and the woman. So the war against women is ongoing. It is not about abortion. It is about the seed coming through woman. The seed is not many seeds, but the, the seed, which is Christ, which we'll see in Galatians chapter three in a moment. He shall bruise or crush your head. In other words, this seed, Christ, will crush the head of Satan. And you shall bruise his heel. Remember, he was on the cross, meaning Christ, and his hands was extended on the cross. And his foot was nailed to the cross, holding up his body until his last breath. And that's what it means to crush his heel, his crucifixion, Christ's crucifixion. And so it took over 3,000 years for this to be fulfilled. 3,700 some odd years. Now go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 15. How coincidentally this Genesis chapter 315 and Galatians three fifteen work. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls and no no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, Now this is Paul getting this by revelation. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ. So this confirms Genesis chapter 3, as far as the seed is concerned, that it is Christ. When the Lord God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. It was the beginning of the process of manifesting his promise. And his promise is to save man. The second scripture further indicates that the Messiah would come. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy the 18th chapter and verse 17. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. In other words, we don't want the Lord to speak to us. You speak to us, Moses. This, he, the reason why the Lord said this was good is because he understood that the people had a genuine fear of God. I will raise up for them a prophet. Notice that the word prophet is in uppercase, that this prophet means the seed which has been determined in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, that is Christ. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which I speak in my name, which rather he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. In other words, you will be held to an account. Then when it is time, the Lord would would, uh, be born, the Lord Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, just as the scriptures prophesied. But it took a miracle that is recorded in the book of Ruth for this to take place. Now go to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 12. Because when we read about the Psalms, when we read about the law, the Psalms, and the prophets, we're reading about the law, which we saw in Genesis chapter 3, Deuteronomy chapter 18. And now we're going to get to the prophets, and and then then we'll cut right into the Psalms out of order. Samuel was a prophet. In fact, he was the last Old Testament judge, but he was the first prophet. Look at First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite, Ephrathite uh, of Bethlehem Judea, uh, Bethlehem Judah, I should say, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. If it weren't for Boaz meeting Ruth, Jesse wouldn't have been born. We all know that it was Boaz, Obed, and then Jesse. Now, go to the book of Ruth, the 4th chapter. Ruth is not a prophetic book, but it was it is considered a historical book. Ruth chapter 4 verse 18. Now, this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron, Hezron begot Ram, and Ram, or Ram, however you want to pronounce it, begot uh, Amenadab, and Amenadab begot uh, Nashon, and Nashon begot Solomon, and Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse, who had eight sons, begot David. Now go to Micah, another prophet. As we're going through these scriptures, we're going to see a full picture of how the son of God came through. Because a lot of us, you know, when when we preach, when we preach from the scriptures that Christ was born, we, we rarely go through the scriptures that tell us how this was done. And so we're left With just a statement as opposed to having written knowledge, seeing the knowledge in the scriptures. Micah chapter five and verse two. We're going to see a theme here with Bethlehem. Look at verse two. But you Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Now, when you see from who's going forth are from of old, he defines what the old is, meaning from everlasting. So hence the statement that who was, who is, and who is to come. You see, everybody have a problem that, well, Jesus is born in flesh, And say, see, he was born. He had a beginning. But no, 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 no. That's his post incarnate state. His pre incarnate state was he's God. He never had a beginning and he'll never have an end. Now go to the book of Isaiah chapter nine, which was our congregational reading this morning. Which ties into this. Out of Micah, we see that out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that a ruler would come that will rule Israel. We see that Jesse had a son, David, and he was born in Bethlehem. And and so we're getting a bigger picture than the fact that Christ was born. Well, he was born in Bethlehem. Why Bethlehem? Because Jesse was in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. Hence, Jesus saying that I am the bread of life, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Here in Isaiah chapter nine, look at verse six. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor Mighty God. And everybody gets tripped up about the fact that Jesus calls himself God. They get tripped up about that saying, how can he call himself God when the Lord our God is one? You are forgetting what Jesus said in the book of John, that I and my father are one. And he told Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. So it should be no question about the fact that Jesus is God. In fact, The very miracles and signs and wonders that he did during his ministry not only proved that he is God, it proclaimed that he's God. So again, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. How can the son be the father? Well, I and the father are one of peace of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with ju- judgment and justice from that time forward. Even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In other words, the zeal meaning that God's urgency, God's heat. Have I ever seen a per- a person moving with a sense of purpose? That's a saying in the military. Move with a sense of purpose. And that's what God has done. He moved with a sense of purpose to perform this. And here's another prophecy from Isaiah, again, reading from what it says in Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. The law, the Psalms and the prophets. Isaiah is a prophet. Go to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 13. Isaiah 7 and verse 13. Then he said, hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But you will weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We all know what Emmanuel means. It means God with us or God among us. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know, to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her Kings. The Lord will bring the King of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Now this is talking about the Assyrian, uh, the Assyrian, uh, Exodus, if you will, the, uh, that, that's the wrong word. Uh, exile, because at the time that the children of Israel went to Babylon, 10 tribes went north into Assyria. Now, the fulfillment of what the Lord promised in Genesis chapter three and verse 15 becomes a reality. Go to the book of Luke chapter one and verse twenty six. All that time 3000 years came for this moment in Luke chapter 1 in verse 26 Now in the sixth month of April that the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David the virgin's name was Mary let me Explain a little bit about betrothed. You see, the man did not choose the wife. The parents did. In other words, they made a decision that this man should marry this woman. They didn't get to date, they didn't get to check underneath the hood. They didn't check to see if they were worthy of each other or connection. They were just hooked up. But see, God knew that these parents would hook them up to a virgin betrothed. That's what betrothed speaks about. To a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. God knew that this would happen and chose Mary to birth the seed. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, mind you, that in the book of Isaiah, we're talking about 700 years before Christ was born. And so Isaiah mirrored not married, but Isaiah saw in the spirit by the spirit of God, being a prophet, the birth of Christ. And now the fulfillment of this takes place. 3,700 years later. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name. Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Go to Matthew chapter one and verse 18. We will see similar words. Similar, but a little bit different. Matthew chapter one, verse 18, beginning there. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Because this would have been a big issue. How could Joseph marry a virgin if this virgin is pregnant with child? And thus, the thing that was appropriate for Joseph to do, because this was the law of the land in Israel, that if a man... Was promised a virgin. But she's not a virgin. And she's carrying another man's child. Then it is his job. To put her out. In the public. And say she's not a virgin. to, to, To ridicule her. To mock her. But Joseph. Was told by the Lord. To put her away secretly. Don't make her a public spectacle. Because. What was happening was God was using Mary's virginity to bring forth the seed that was promised by God in Genesis chapter 3 and, and verse 15. And it's perfectly legal. And here's why it's perfectly legal. God is God and he could do anything you want to do. reading and continually continuing. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream because see, Joseph was sitting there. I just can't see how this can happen. How, how can I have a woman that's with child? I got to do something about this. But an angel showed up saying Joseph, son of David. See, he wanted to remind Joseph you're of the household of David, this has to happen this way. Do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Because see, life doesn't come from Satan. Life comes from God. And as far as God is concerned, he can do anything he wants except lie and sin. And he will bring forth and she's me and she. Will bring forth the Son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And see, when we read this scripture, we gotta understand it with the mindset of God that Jesus is coming to save his people from their sins. So then we have to define who his people is and his people can be none other than the children of Israel. Because when we read the new Testament, what we tend to do is that we read the new Testament from only a Gentile perspective. We, we don't even read into this about the Jews because if we're not taught correctly, it's very easy for us to neglect the fact that Jesus came to die for the sins of his people. And also remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse th- verse, verse 16. He says, "For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation and watch this to the Jew first. And also to the Greek, remember in John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman that was there at Jacob's well that salvation is of the Jews. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. This prophet is Isaiah. And they and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until or had sexual intercourse with her as husband and wife. Until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus, meaning that Joseph believed exactly what God was doing. Because if he didn't believe what God was doing, he would have left Mary. And then you have the census ordered by Rome to force Mary and Joseph to return to Bethlehem to be counted. Go to Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. Because remember, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but they were outside of Bethlehem. And so in order to fulfill scripture, God had to use what the Romans were doing. As far as the census is concerned to get them to Bethlehem because they are of the tribe of Judah and because of Jesse birthing his son David in Bethlehem. All planned by God himself. Luke chapter two, beginning in verse one. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth Into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. In other words, they haven't given birth yet. Mary hasn't given birth yet. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. You see, not only is Jesus the firstborn as far as being raised from the dead, not firstborn again, because that is false doctrine. Jesus was never born again. How can God be born again? So anybody say, well, he's the firstborn he was he's the first one born again it's error in terms of the natural firstborn he is the firstborn of Mary's children she is the first Jesus is the firstborn out of Mary and wrapped him in swaddling clothes just in case you don't know what swaddling clothes are those are those are cloths. That are usually used to wipe horses with. How humbling. Clean cloths at this point, not cloths that we use, obviously. Because you don't, you just don't put a, a clean baby in dirty clothing. That doesn't make sense. And what did they do? They laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. In other words, around this time of his birth, the whole hotel, if you want to use another word, was booked. Go to Matthew chapter two. Matthew chapter two, beginning in verse one. Now, after Jesus is born in Bethlehem of Judea, which confirms scripture, Micah chapter five and verse two. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, Isaiah chapter seven. We're all seeing the picture that Bethlehem was the place where he was born. Fulfilling scripture, the law, the Psalms and the prophets. But we just stopped at the law and the prophets first. We'll get to the Psalms in a moment. Now, after in Matthew chapter two, verse one. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, Behold, wise men from the east came from came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who had been born king of the Jews? Now, 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 now notice something here. Where where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Does anybody really notice what Pilate put on the sign that Jesus was crucified on? Jesus, the king of the Jews. Hence, he will save his people from their sins. His people meaning Israel. You see, we who are not Jews, we wear the wild olive branches as it is discussed in Romans chapter 9 and 10. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I know that I preached a while ago about Jupiter being the king of stars and and that right at the moment that the stars were aligning themselves, Jesus happened to show up. But there is something supernatural about this star that I do not believe is that of Jupiter unless God did move Jupiter. And in order for this to happen, you got to take a star out of orbit and then put it back. I mean, to put a planet out of, out of, out of its orbit and then put it back. Could happen that way too. For we have seen his star in the East and have come to worship him. And Herod, the King heard this. He was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, why would Jerusalem be troubled? Why would Herod be troubled? Because he doesn't want anybody else to show up to be king. You see, Herod did rebuild or, or repair at least the second temple and did that as a favor to the Jews so that the way the Jews would be favorable to him. He wanted to be worshiped as king. And so Jesus was a threat. To his authority. But also all Jerusalem was troubled. Because if anybody knows anything about Micah. And anything about Isaiah. And anything about the Psalms in particular Psalm 22. uh, You will see that God was up to something. Something supernatural was happening. Usually when we see something happening. Then we go back to the scriptures to confirm that something had happened. Even though you may have read it beforehand and haven't seen its fulfillment, it is usually in the fulfillment that you go back to the scriptures and you're able to say, this is what the scriptures have said would happen. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they, so they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See that's Micah chapter five and verse two. We're seeing the harmony of the scriptures Unfold before our eyes. Then, after the Lord Jesus spoke of the rivers of living water, that is, the crowd said of the Lord Jesus, go to John chapter 7 and verse 40. John chapter 7 and verse 40. Remember what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that the Father will send a prophet. God will raise up a prophet among you. Notice what they say about Jesus in John chapter seven and verse 40. Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, truly is the this is the prophet. Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. Now, what did Jesus said? That you will be uh, uh, filled with the spirit not many days Hence, in terms of the Holy Spirit flowing out of you as rivers of living water. But some said, and this is how they, they enter into doubt. Some said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Because Jesus generally ministered around the Sea of Galilee. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? You see, under their nose, they didn't realize that God snuck Jesus in. He snuck him in while they were looking. There's no dispute about Jesus being of the seed of David. Because the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew and also in Luke confirms the fact that he came from the house of David in Bethlehem, then, for him to be born as a result of Caesar, of Caesar Augustus wanting to censor the people, forced everybody to go to their homeland because that was where Joseph and Mary were registered. And then, at the right time, Jesus was born. At that moment, so there was a division among the people because of him. Now, some of them wanted to take him. But no one laid hands on him. Why was this necessary to discuss the birth of Christ? Because the Jews rejected him. You see, the birth of Christ is more, there's more to the story of the baby in the manger than we're allowed to venture into. There's more to this story. This story is about the Savior coming into the world to die for the sin of humanity, of course but also to save Israel from their sins. The Jews rejected Jesus, this baby in the manger. Go to John chapter 1 and verse 10. John chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1 verse 10. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. His own rejected him. His own said, we don't want him. We don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus. Even though he performs signs, wonders, and miracles. Now don't get me wrong. Even to this day, God does signs, wonders, and miracles. But for the for the purpose of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the whole purpose of Jesus doing signs, wonders, and miracles then was not just to prove that he's God, but to declare that he is God. In fact, when Jesus was with, with Nicodemus at the night, Nicodemus was forced to acknowledge that Jesus is the son of the living God. He said, no one can do these miracles unless God was with him. Hence, Emmanuel. In verse 12 of of John chapter one, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. During his earthly ministry, the Jews failed to read the scriptures. They failed to read Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, Isaiah chapter 9, and Isaiah chapter 7. Go to Mark chapter 12, if you will. Mark chapter 12. Then he began uh, in verse 1, Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Then he began to speak to them in parables. And since they didn't want to believe anything, now Jesus is going to give them parables. In other words, an earthly story that has spiritual meaning. A man planted a vineyard or vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the vine, for the wine rather, that, and built a tower. And he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. So what it means to lease to the vine dressers is a parable of the fact that he leased Working in the vineyard to the Israeli people. Those are the vine dressers. Now, at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that he might receive some of the fruit of the vineyard dress, from the vine dressers. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. The servants in this story are the prophets that God sent to warn Israel. Again, he sent them another servant, another prophet, and at him him they threw stones, wounded him in the head and sent him away shamefully treated. And again, he sent another and him they killed with many others beating some and killing some. So the servants were the prophets. All the prophets that came to speak a word to Israel To get it right. To live holy. To walk according to the law. To do exactly what God said. But what did they do? They wounded them. They killed them. They stoned them. They beat them. These prophets. But here is the nitty gritty right here. Therefore still having one son. His beloved. He also sent him to to them last, saying they will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, he is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. This is Jesus, the son. I mean, it's not hard to understand this story. Jesus was the last Old Testament prophet because he had John the Baptist. And then you had Jesus being the last Old Testament prophet. He didn't operate as a New Testament prophet. Jesus operated as the Old Testament prophet. But he was also heir and he was also the beloved, which makes us understand that this can be no other than the son of the living God. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do? In other words, who is the owner of the vineyard? The father is the owner of the vineyard who sent his son, but they killed his son. He will come and destroy the vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. This is not to be taken as replacement theology, giving the vineyard to others. The others include those Jews that willingly believe on Jesus, having their sins washed away by the blood of the lamb. Have you not even read the scripture? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they sought to lay hands on him, and but, but feared, but, but feared the multitude. In other words, the people that wanted to kill Jesus. But notice what Jesus said in this scripture, which is recorded in Psalm one nineteen. Uh, excuse me, Psalm one eighteen. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter twenty four and verse twenty seven. The scriptures concerning me in the law, the psalms, and the prophets. Now we get to the psalms. Go to Psalm one eighteen. Psalm one eighteen. I know I didn't finish that last verse in, uh, in Mark chapter twelve. I'm aware of that. But go over to Psalm one eighteen and verse twenty two. Now you're going to see something that you that you and I and I until last week, but you perhaps have seen it. May have, maybe not. But if not, then you're going to get some 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 food here about this. Look at verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected, which Jesus was speaking of in Mark chapter 12, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. How many of you remember the song that we, used to, that we used to sing on occasion? This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And we would just isolate that. But we were never connected to this verse. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day. What is the day that the the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? The day that Christ died on the cross was the day of this song. I, I know that every day this is the day that the Lord has made. I get that. But when you connect it to the crucifixion of Christ, now that song has greater meaning. That this is the day when he became the chief cornerstone. That the Lord, that this was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. When the Lord... Prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 about bringing the seed through. And then Matt, and then Deuteronomy chapter 18, that the prophet is coming. And then Micah is saying that in Bethlehem, a frotha he'll come out. And then we see Jesse come out with Obed. And, and Jesse came out. Boaz, Obed, and Jesse, David. This is the day that the Lord is made. Go to Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28. This is how we study the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. Because we could easily glance over uh, Psalm, uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. We could easily glance over it. But when you see that story, you see that Jesus gave them all of the scriptures. We didn't study all of the scriptures. We just studied the highlights of of the scriptures in the Old Testament as regard to the law, the Psalms and the prophets. But we never did, you know, delve into it like we're doing it now. Look at Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. In other words, we will not say, ah, that ain't him. That's what it means to act hastily. Because if we believe we won't act hastily, we'll say that's him. And we go through the evidence of not only scripture, but also through history. Because history confirms scripture. Because it is his story. I spent a lot of time showing these scriptures because we need the whole picture as to why the Lord will judge the Jews. That's why the Lord said. And if you go to back to Luke chapter 24 and verse 44. Is that one? Going... Yeah, if we go, if we go to uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. That's why when you don't have someone that is well versed in the scriptures that you can call to find out the meaning of scripture. When they, when when you don't have them on the speed dial, or they happen to be on a long trip and you can't get a hold of them, all you need to do is pray and ask the Holy Spirit for true teaching and insight, and the Holy Spirit will open up your understanding that you may comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission or releasing of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued or are endued with power from on high. The Psalms reveal the Messiah. In fact, Psalm 22 reveals the Messiah. And then Daniel's prophecy, when dealing with Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, and Daniel chapter 12, how he will return with an everlasting kingdom. You see, the birth of Christ is more to it than just celebrating a a day in which he was laying in a manger, born of a virgin. And it is important. I don't want to minimize or marginalize that event because it is a miraculous event. It is an event that changed the course of history. It is an event that cannot be minimized. Without that birth of Christ, none of the rest of this would take place. When the temple was built in Jerusalem, and for three and a half years the Jews will be able to worship on the temple in the Temple Mount. We're talking about the future events that will take place. The birth of Christ is culmination. Is it is getting us to the culmination of all of these things that are happening and transpiring before our eyes. That when the Antichrist come and enter into a covenant with the Jews and and the world, then in the middle of the week, the Antichrist will cease sacrifices and offerings. And then Revelation 13 comes into play. The Hasidic Jews, they're they're in uh, Judea. They're they're coming back to the land. There's talk about uh, the new prime minister, although he's an old prime minister of Rebuilding the temple, the, the, te- the things are in place that the utensils are in place. Everything is in place except the temple. So the birth of Christ coming in swaddling clothes and laid in the manger that came by way of birth will come as the son of man in a robe dipped in blood to bring vengeance, but also to bring salvation to the Jews just as he promised. You've been listening to our Prevailing Word podcast channel on Anchor, Apple Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. Please check out our Prevailing Word Live YouTube channel. Links are also available on our Prevailing Word Ministries Facebook page. I'm Fred Vitester. Thanks for listening.